Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Hey, it's Kevin Hart. In this basketball season, Chase Freedom Unlimited is helping me cash back all my game tickets. Plus, tickets for 23 of my biggest fans to cheer me on while I enjoy the game. Your I appreciate the support, people. Eat that pretzel. This will never get old. Use more napkins. Okay, this is starting to get old. Say the tagline. Cash back like a pro. With Chase Freedom Unlimited. Chase, make more of what's yours. Restrictions and limitations apply. Cards are issued by J.P. Morgan Chase Bank and a member FDIC. The Volume. Lakers Tonight is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to make every moment more than with FanDuel. You get great odds in markets for the NBA, NHL, college, and so much more. It's America's number one sportsbook. It's super easy to use. Plus, you can combine multiple bets from the same game into a same-game parlay. If you are new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started now. Sign up with promo code JasonT so they know I sent you. 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Indiana, Louisiana, permitted parishes only, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. In Tennessee Redline, Dial 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. Visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight, presented by FanDuel here at The Volume. Happy Monday, everybody. I hope all of you guys had a great weekend. Uh, we are just about to pull up into Juno. We had a really cool moment this morning on our little schedule. It said something about like a scenic passage from 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. I woke up at 6 a.m., opened my window, and there were icebergs floating like right next to the ship. Then... Uh, walked up to the upper deck, and when I got up there, we were pulling up. The ship was pulling directly up to a glacier, a huge glacier that was flowing uh, into the fjord, I guess they call it, which is basically like a water passageway that is formed by a glacier. One of the coolest things I've ever seen. It was a really, really nice treat this morning. Um, I did a recording yesterday that I didn't have a chance to upload, so it'll be piggybacked onto the end of this for the podcast folks. I think on YouTube it'll end up being something different. But we talked about some Warriors. We talked about some Lakers with Buddy Heald and Miles Turner. Also talked about some Suns uh, with Monty Williams getting extended and what I expect from them over the course of the next couple of years. Then we did a little deep dive into five-out basketball as part of the series I'm trying to do this summer where we talk about you know um, some larger basketball concepts. So for your, ba- uh, for your podcast listeners, that'll be tagged on to the end of this. Uh, for the YouTube folks, today we're just hitting Kevin Durant. So uh, Adrian Wojnarowski reports that the Boston Celtics are a serious threat to potentially acquire Kevin Durant. 
um, that they're willing to include Jalen Brown. Now, the report comes with a couple of big caveats. First of all, Brian Windhorst reported on ESPN that this is kind of old news that's been out for about a month almost, that this particular offer was already on the table. Essentially, Jalen Brown, I believe it's Grant Williams as well, possibly some other filler. And then um, I believe it's the 2025 first, the 2027 first, the 2029 first, pick swap in 2026, another swap in 2028. So it's a pretty significant offer. Nets want more. You know how that all goes. Um, But apparently this offer has been around, according to Brian Windhorst. And then Adrian Wojnarowski in the piece also specifically stated that the Celtics were, quote-unquote, no closer to obtaining Kevin Durant than any of the other teams. So I'm not really sure what to make of this particular report, the timing of it, what exactly uh, the goal is. It could just be ESPN trying to spice things up in the middle of the summer. But I do want to talk about this particular deal because it's an interesting one that I recommended a while back um, and one that I think is a smart move for Boston. As we looked at Boston last year, I actually thought they were the most talented team in the finals They were just incredibly undisciplined, and they struggled particularly with ball handling and offensive decision-making. So the idea of flipping Jalen Brown and Grant Williams and maybe a Daniel Tice or something along those lines for Kevin freaking Durant instantaneously makes you by far the best team in the league, in my opinion, the title favorite, the team that I would pick to win the championship this year. So if I was running the Celtics, I would do it. I understand the hesitation. I understand the idea with the draft picks. I understand Kevin Durant's injury history. Although I think some of the injury history stuff with Kevin Durant is overblown. He takes his sweet time coming back from injuries, which he should. He's Kevin Durant and he understands the long run with the playoffs. But he's been available for each of the last two playoff runs. Played extraordinarily well two years ago, then struggled against the Boston Celtics last year in a a series where his entire team was completely overmatched, right? But I think the injury stuff is just overplayed with Kevin Durant. I think it's a no-brainer. I think the Celtics should do it. But I understand the hesitation. This is where it comes down into the, the, the classic debate over pushing your chips in the middle versus playing the long game. We had this as a question in the mailbag. And like I told you guys, I don't think anybody's right or wrong. It's just a matter of preference. I think because of the current structure of the CBA, it's better to push your chips in. Players are fickle. They get a wandering eye. They get sick of their situation. They get authority fatigue. They want something new. And so more often than not, they don't want to stay in a place for 7 to 10 to 15 years, right? You know, when we look at the the the, the Steph Curry, uh, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green type of pairing, yes, it's organizational excellence. Yes, the, the Warriors make it easy to stay, but it's also a matter of loyalty, Because I've seen teams like the Oklahoma City Thunder in the early 2000s where it's like, you've got Kevin Durant, you've got James Harden, you've got Russell Westbrook, you've got good veteran players, you've got a good coach, everything's right, but the guys just get, they just want to leave. Kevin Durant, hey, I want to leave. James Harden, I want a bigger role, I'm ready to leave, right? Like, So at the end of the day, I think it's a little bit harder than people think to get people to stay. So under the current CBA... Because of how easy it is for player movement to occur, and because of the fact that players don't really feel a ton of loyalty, I'm a believer in pushing your chips in. If you stick with Jalen Brown, there's no guarantee that sometime over the next two years that he won't look at the situation with Jason Tatum and be like, meh, I'd rather be somewhere else where I have a bigger role. Or, man, I'd rather play with somebody who's a little bit more of a playmaker, who's a little bit more of someone who sets me up, right? There's no guarantee that there's going to be loyalty there. That's why I'm a believer, under the current system, push your chips in the middle, Go after the Kevin Durant's of the world. Make a run to the title. Read your situation, like with the Brooklyn Nets. If you don't think you have enough, sell the farm and restart, right? Now, if they go renegotiate the CBA and they make it more difficult for players to leave and they heavily incentivize players to stay, that's where the strategy might shift, where player movement limits and now it becomes more about scouting and player development and and building continuity and doing the things that the Warriors do. But the Warriors are the exception to the rule. Don't let them fool you into thinking that that's easy to do. It is not easy to do. All right, the last thing I wanted to hit on this uh, on this KD story is the Kyrie report that came out from Sham Sharania saying that he has made it clear to the Nets front office that he intends to play out the season with Brooklyn with or without Kevin Durant. Now, first of all, just like after the season when Kyrie said, hey, I'm 
doing this as a partnership with Sean Marks and Josiah and Kevin. No, no, no. That's not really the case. He doesn't understand that that's not his decision. Whether or not Kyrie plays basketball for the Nets is entirely up to Brooklyn, and they don't want him unless Kevin Durant reinvests in the franchise, in which case they understand he's better than the alternative, right? But if they reset, if KD is leaving, which I believe he is, which we're going to talk about here in just a minute, there's no universe in which they keep Kyrie. They will flip him for a first-round pick, probably to the LA Lakers. This th- that's just smoke and mirrors. That's just Kyrie. I think what what Kyrie's really trying to accomplish there is demonstrate a willingness to play basketball because he understands that's his biggest red flag surrounding him right now. He knows it hurt him in his extension conversations this summer and he probably wants a, a lengthy deal after this year. So he's probably going to do a lot to try to rehab his image over the course of this next season to, you know, kind of make people believe that he's committed again so that he can get a long-term deal. That's what I think this is about. Now, is KD coming back? I don't think so. You're going to see threats. You're going to see Brooklyn say things like, we're going to take them to camp. We've talked about this before. Training camp is your best opportunity to set a tone for the season. You never want to bring a malcontent into training camp. You never want to bring someone who's not committed into training camp. Uh, In this particular circumstance, Kevin Durant wants out. If you bring him back, all that's going to do is cause your your 2022-2023 season to get off to a really ugly start with lots of infighting and passive aggressiveness and things that are going to hurt a basketball team. Now remember, one of the big reasons why Sean Marks and Josiah want to get out of this relationship is they don't like having KD and Kyrie in control. They don't like the, you know, the kind of like uh uh this like you know, entrepreneur, businessman type of approach to the way that these players are running the nets. They want to be in control. They want to run it like a basketball team. They want commitment. They want buy-in. They don't want drama. They don't want to deal with that that like diva type of personality from those two guys, right? So they, they don't want to, they want to reset. They want to build a new culture moving forward. So chances are this is all a leverage play and they're looking to raise KD's value to some extent. I don't think you're going to get much more than the offers that they've seen. A Jalen Brown with three firsts and two swaps is probably the best that you can do in this situation. And my guess is at some point over the next couple of months, the Nets will relent and they will make that deal. Again, like I've said several times, the one thing that can turn this into KD returning to the Nets is Kevin Durant himself. If he gets a change of heart and realizes that he doesn't actually want to leave and that he wants to stay in Brooklyn and play with Kyrie and all those things, then yes, I believe they would bring them back to camp, but I don't think that's going to happen. And KD has leaked once again, I think he leaked it to uh, Jake Fisher about a week and a half ago that he's still very intent on getting traded. So not sure what to make of this Woj report. I do think Boston is a legitimate threat. I love the deal for them. I think they should do it. But it again, like Brian Wintour said, it's an old report. And like Adrian Wojnarowski said, they're no closer to obtaining KD than everybody else. So this is probably just more summer drama. But I do think Boston's a great example of the type of team that should make this type of deal because it's pushing all the chips in the middle and gives you a very, very good chance. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Warm weather brings many outdoor activities. Happy hours after work, weekend hikes, pool parties, and family barbecues. With all that time spent in the sun, we're often not thinking about what it's doing to our hair. Those rays can seriously affect your scalp and hair, making right now the perfect time to start taking Nutrafol to help keep your hair healthy this summer. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist-recommended hair growth supplement, with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, and faster-growing hair with less shedding. Thinning hair is different for men and women, so a one-size-fits-all approach to hair growth doesn't cut it. Nutrafol has multiple formulas that are tailored to give your hair what it needs to grow based on your biology, life stage, and lifestyle factors. Physician-formulated with drug-free ingredients, Nutrafol supports healthy hair growth from within by targeting key root causes of thinning, stress, hormones, environment, nutrition, lifestyle, and metabolism through whole body health. With Nutrafol, building a hair growth routine is simple. Purchase online, no prescription or doctor's visits required. 
Free shipping and automated deliveries ensure you'll never miss a day and you'll see results in three to six months. Get results you can run your fingers through. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code HOOPS. That's H-O-O-P-S. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and stylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com, spelled N U T. R-A-F-O-L dot com, promo code HOOPS, that's H-O-O-P-S. That's Nutrafol.com, promo code HOOPS. Angie's List is now Angie, the nation's largest home services marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, Come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled professionals to get the job done well. It's something that I've always been a big believer in. When Usually when you try to take on a project that you don't know how to do, it ends up just being a bigger headache as you try to learn and then you end up making mistakes and it ends up just not being worth it. Not only can a professional get the job done more efficiently, but you're also supporting local businesses in your area. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job is done well. With 29 years of experience, combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects easy. Angie has cost guides to tell you what others have paid for similar projects both nationally and in your area. The app is free and easy to use. We all know the difficulties that can come with home projects. Angie makes tackling your project as simple as possible from start to finish. Turn to Angie with confidence, even for major renovations or emergency repairs. Are you renting? Even renters can come to Angie for moving installations and cleaning. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com or download the app today to win the title. Let's start with the heel turner news. So the report is that what's on the table from the Lakers already is Russell Westbrook plus a first round draft pick in return for Buddy Heald and Miles Turner. So uh, obviously there's a lot of there's a lot of debate as to whether or not Buddy Heald and Miles Turner are worth the first round picks and so on and so forth. We don't need to get too far, uh, too far into the leverage elements of it because I've gone over it with you guys so many times. But I think the reality is is when you're taking Russell Westbrook, who, as we've talked about so often on this show, is a guy that I'm not sure that the Lake that any team in the NBA would sign if he was available for a veteran minimum. Right? That's the type of situation that his value is in right now. But at the same time. He's also making $47 million, and chances are, if you, as a process of the team taking on his salary, they're also going to have to send him home or direct him somewhere else. It's a very, very complicated situation. So you can't look at it straight up as, is Buddy Heald worth a first-round pick? Or is Miles Turner worth a first-round pick? Or are the two of them worth two first-round picks? That's not the exchange that's taking place here. It's Buddy Heald and Miles Turner... And they're dealing with the rust problem for you. And so you're paying on two fronts. You're paying for the value of the players in return. And you're paying to send Russ out, obviously. Now, to be clear, kind of like what happened with the Kawhi Leonard situation the year that the, the, the Lakers won the title, I still think Kyrie should be their top priority. We've talked about this on previous episodes. The reality of the situation is, is, is guys like Kyrie, what they do is very difficult to replicate on any level. It is a superpower, essentially. And everyone else is kind of a regular human, right? And there are these, there's like a dozen or, you know, maybe two dozen players in the league that have these like legit superpowers that there's no scheming or effort or anything that can be done to counter what they bring to a basketball team. And so it's a lot easier to take Kyrie Irving and, and unleash his superpower and then manufacture a facsimile of what Miles Turner does than it is to bring in Buddy Heald and Miles Turner and go to Buddy Heald and be like, I need you to create shots in a playoff series the way that Kyrie Irving does. That's just not realistic, right? So Kyrie needs to be the number one option. But if they have some sort of intel or some sort of understanding that Kyrie is off the table, this is a great backup plan. If you would have told me coming into this summer that the Lakers could flip Russell Westbrook into two quality starter-level NBA players, I wouldn't have believed you. I thought it was more realistic that the Lakers would get kind of like other bad contracts and maybe if they were fortunate, one solid player. Like, like, right? Like I was looking at maybe, okay, they could get Gordon Hayward as salary filler and then, and then maybe they could get Terry Rozier. That's like a really solid guard. So you get one solid piece, and then the rest might be like 
Mason Plumlee or Gordon Hayward, kind of like just salary filler type of pieces. The idea of getting two functional NBA starters in return, that does so much to erase the damage of the Russell Westbrook trade. I've said this before on the show, but Russell Westbrook is not responsible for what happened to the Lakers last year. That's not fair to him. But the Russell Westbrook trade is absolutely what caused the Lakers season to go that the way that it did last year beyond the injuries, which obviously were out of everybody's control. But if you look at it, even in the previous season, LeBron and Anthony Davis missed a ton of time. The roster was still functional enough to carry them to the playoffs in the way that this year's wasn't. It wasn't just Russ coming in. And we don't need to get into the things that Russ does on a basketball team that can be damaging. But it was Russ coming in, and it was Contavious Caldwell-Pope going out. A starting level NBA two guard, right? It was Kyle Kuzma going out. A starting NBA level four, you know, three, four, wing forward, whatever you want to call him, that type of player. Montrezl Harrell, you know, is what he is as a bench pig. But also, in that deal, the Lakers took in more salary, considerably more salary in Russ's contract. And as it as a result, when the Lakers came to look at the final numbers of the finances, they decided they couldn't afford Alex Caruso. So in my opinion, you have to partially factor in the loss of Alex Caruso as a side effect or, or collateral damage from the Russell Westbrook trade. So that trade is what decimated the roster. And last year, when LeBron James and Anthony Davis went down, They struggled so bad because they didn't even have NBA-level players on the roster, NBA-level starters. We've talked about this before. Under roster control, I really like Austin Reeves. I like Stanley Johnson. I like Juan Toscano Anderson and Troy Brown Jr. and all of these guys, but they're not starting-level NBA players. They're bench players that will have to play bigger roles on this team because of the lack of talent. So obviously it's expensive. Fixing your mistakes is expensive. I had a, a weird thing happen with the gate at the, the, the complex that uh, my wife and I live in right now. And it like knocked off the side mirror of my truck. And I, I was kind of impatient as I was going through the, 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 the gate. And bam, it was a mistake. And you know, the mistake cost me a few hundred bucks. It sucks, but it is what it is. That's what I had to pay to undo the damage that I did to my truck. I was able to install it. It was easy. It wasn't a big deal, but it cost me money, right? You screwed up. You made a really bad deal. It hurt your team. The price to fix the problem is two first-round picks. In the after, it's not the same players as KCP and Kyle Kuzma and uh, and Alex Caruso, but it's starter-level NBA players. Say what you want about Buddy Heald, he's a starting-level NBA guard. Say what you want about Miles Turner, he's a starting-level NBA center. Here's why that's important. The core philosophy of the Lakers has always been LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and role players, guys that do the dirty work. Where things went off the rails last year was losing the quality role players. It was LeBron James, Anthony Davis, the shell of Russell Westbrook, and poor role players. So if you can get quality role players back into the mix, you can recapture the formula from 2020. In 2020 and 2021, the Lakers won almost 80% of their games when LeBron James and Anthony Davis were on the floor, healthy, playing basketball. That is what happens when you surround them with quality role players. When Miles Turner is on the Pacers, he has to do so much more. When Buddy Heald is on the Kings or on the Pacers, he has to do so much more to contribute to the team. When they are playing behind Anthony Davis and LeBron James, their roles shrink way down. And when their roles shrink down, it allows them to focus their talents into it. They can focus their exceptional talents, Buddy Heald as a shooter and as a guy who can create shots off the dribble, and Miles Turner as a shot blocker who can also space the floor, roll hard to the rim, and the things that he can do. When you take their elite skills and take away all the extra stuff they have to do and allow them to focus their elite skills, they can be very effective basketball players. So I like that as a backup plan. In the uh, in terms of the X's and O's, there's a couple of things that stand out to out to me. We're going to talk more about five out basketball later in the show. Like I said, uh, Miles Turner is a textbook five out center. He gives you the ability to pick and pop to the three point line. He can also spot up and attack closeouts. Right. Him and Anthony Davis can even play together and play five out basketball, which is a super interesting concept that we can get into further later into the show. With Buddy Heald, what excites me the most with him, and the same principle takes place with Kyrie Irving. But it's also exciting with Buddy Heald as a backup option. The ability to shoot the ball off the dribble while also being a small, quick player that does not lend teams to be willing to switch their big man out onto them. So when LeBron James and Anthony Davis run high screen and roll, 
chances are LeBron's going to be being guarded by a big, versatile defensive forward. And Anthony Davis is going to be guarded by a big, versatile defensive forward, right? That's just the way that it's going to work. So chances are any team, if LeBron and Anthony Davis run pick and roll, they're going to switch it. And now you're pulling the ball out and running isolation, and it doesn't really accomplish much. That's the issue of that specific action with those two players. Now, with you, when you add a Kyrie Irving or a Buddy Heald in this case, they can't switch because Buddy's too quick, Anthony Davis is too big, Miles Turner's too big, right? Now they have to run some variation of drop coverage. If they run drop coverage, Buddy Heald uniquely forces you to chase over the top of screens. When they had Russell Westbrook, Dennis Schroeder, Rajon Rondo, because they couldn't shoot off the dribble, the guard had the flexibility to go underneath the screen. When the guard can go underneath the screen, he doesn't have to worry about the drive as much, which allows the big man, the screen defender, to stay back and take away the roll man. So by making the roll man's job easier and by making the guard's job easier, you can run a drop coverage that is damned effective against good basketball players. For instance, you guys remember the Thunder beating the Lakers twice this year. One of the big reasons why they were able to do that was towards the end of the game, the Lakers tried to go to Russ Anthony Davis pick and roll, but they had Lou Dort on Russ, and they had, uh, I'm blanking on his name, but the, the backup big that used to play for the Jazz a few years ago, I'm forgetting his name, but the, the guy who was playing big for the Thunder last year on Anthony Davis. And when Russ came over the ball screen, Dort just dropped underneath the screen, and uh, it's killing me that I can't remember his name, but the, the big man would drop back, and it turned Russ and Anthony Davis into jump shooters. They're both bad jump shooters. The results were they ended up losing to the Oklahoma City Thunder twice. That's what happens when you can run that super aggressive, conservative, back-to-the-rim drop against Russ and Anthony Davis. When you make the guard chase over the top because of your shooting threat, because if Buddy Heald, if you go under that screen, he's knocking down that three probably 45% of the time if he's open off the dribble. That forces you to chase over the top. If you chase over the top, now the guard is in a disadvantage as Buddy Heald is going downhill. Now the screen defender has to step over to contain Buddy Heald. Now Anthony Davis is rolling hard to the rim. That's what opens up the pocket pass or forces the help defender to come over so you can swing for open threes on the weak side of the floor. It's a simple concept. There's not a whole, It's not very complicated, but it makes a huge difference in how difficult it is to guard your pick-and-roll action. So I love the idea of the Lakers getting a real ball handling, uh, uh, aggressive pull-up shooter in that guard position, and I think Buddy Hield's a great fit there. So again, the the Lakers are smart to hold the first pick and, and hold out on the second pick until they absolutely have to. They should still be prioritizing Kyrie, but as a decent backup option, I like the Hield-Turner fit, and if it costs two picks, it costs two picks. That's what it costs to fix the mistake that you made. All right, let's move on to the Warriors for a second. So Michael Thompson, Clay Thompson's father, said, quote, they won't be complacent. You've got three competitors leading the way in Draymond, Steph, and Clay. They've got four, but you know they want to get five. They want to get six. So the question here is how many more titles do I believe that the Warriors will win? So, first of all, I do want to talk about the motivation part because I do find it interesting. You know, I used to work in real estate. Colin Coward has used to have this one-liner that he'd used in a show. I'm sure he's been using it still to this day. But he says, like, you know, with a real estate agent, any real estate agent can have one great year. You have a bunch of deals fall in your lap. You're motivated. You're working hard. Your pipeline gets full. You have a bunch of stuff closed. You make a ton of money, right? But the truly great realtors are good year in and year out, you know? Um, one of the things that I learned early on in that business was, like, the difference between your pipeline and the deals that you're actually working. Because there's transactional work as a realtor and then there's the actual lead generation, you know, doing open houses, cold calling, door knocking, whatever it was that you did. Some some realtors even pay for leads from the, the larger companies around. But what will happen a lot with realtors is they'll fill their pipeline and then they'll start closing a bunch of deals. And when they're closing the deals, they start making a lot of money. But they're doing this transactional stuff and they're not filling the pipeline. So then like you get to the end and the, and the deals all close and you've made all this money but then your pipeline's empty. And then you can go six months without closing another deal because you didn't continue to fill the pipeline along the way. And you see that a lot in professional sports. You see it a lot with specific types of athletes, right? You have guys that are you know, competitive, guys that are very competitive, and then you have guys that are psychotically competitive. You see 
uh, um, teams and players where it's like one year they're completely locked in and and everything is working and you could tell the motivation is on level 10 out of 10 but then the next season it's just not quite the same James Harden's my favorite example of this if you look at the 2018 season the year that he won the MVP he was so locked in trying on the defensive end the Rockets are following his lead they're locked in they win 65 games they come up short but then something's missing the next season. The whole vibe is off. Now he's beefing with Chris Paul. Like, it's just not the same. The year in and out. It was like for one year, everything came together. And he locked in. And he damn near won a title. And then he's never been able to replicate that start-to-finish effort and focus that he had in that specific year. That's, you know, one side of the spectrum. And then you've got, like, guys like Tom Brady on the other side of the spectrum where it's like, dude, you've won seven Super Bowls. You're unassailably the best quarterback to ever play the game of football, probably the best football player of all time. Why are you still trying to win? Like, why, why are you still trying to play? But it's it's really that simple. He, he wants eight. You know, like, once he gets eight, he'll probably want to come back to get nine, and it'll take some combination of his body failing him and his wife yelling at him for him to finally and inevitably hang things up. Like, that's the spectrum there. And, you know, your, your all-time greats, your LeBrons, your Steph Currys, your Warriors, your Spurs – they're on the far side. They're on the Tom Brady side of that spectrum. They are psychotically competitive, and you'll always see stories and anecdotes that kind of lend credence to that idea. But that's why that's why they're not satisfied with number four, and that's why they're going to keep coming back. Now, as far as the basketball goes, you know, when someone asks me, do I think the Warriors can win five, or do I think the Warriors can win six, like, so much of it just comes down to luck. Same thing goes for LeBron if in his pursuit of five and six. I'm not worried about LeBron trying hard next season. I'm not worried about Steph Curry and Klay Thompson and Draymond Green being locked in. Those guys are all going to be locked in. But things got to break your way. Things got to break your way with the roster. You know, like the Warriors lost two key rotational players in Otto Porter uh, Jr. and in Gary Payton II, right? So, like, it's important for Moses Moody and Dante DiVincenzo to kind of slide into those roles in order to fill those roles, right? Health is a big part of it. Like, the, the Warriors had horrible health luck there for basically two and a half seasons, right? But things kind of all broke right. Like, Steph got healthy just in time for the playoffs. Draymond got healthy really just before the playoffs. Klay Thompson was kind of getting his legs underneath him right around that time. And it all just kind of broke right for them. And you can also see it go the other way, right? Like, the Bucks, they're cruising along. Everything looks great. Uh, you know, they look like a team that absolutely could repeat and, and win another championship. And Chris Middleton goes down. And next thing you know, they're completely overmatched in a series against the Celtics that somehow, on the strength of Giannis's unbelievable, untamable greatness, they dragged it out to seven games. But the point is, you got to be lucky along the way, too. So many things have to go your way. So the question of whether or not the Warriors are going to win five or six titles or just stay at four is like, will everybody stay healthy? You know? Or... You know, also the things like what happened with Kevin Durant in 2017, that can derail a championship opportunity, right? Like the Cavs were probably thinking, hey, we're repeating in 2017. We like our chances. We're bringing everybody back. We're Then we have Kyle Korver now. Like Kevin Love's going to play better because he's not going to be concussed. You know, LeBron's uh, actually getting better in 2017, 2018, 2017 and 2018. But it's like, here comes the Kevin Durant move. And now it's like window over. No one's beating that team, right? So like there's all these factors that are fluid in these situations and so many things have to go your way to win a championship that the reality is is it's not really 100% under their control. They've got to be lucky along the way as well. But here's the reality. I, I have them as the favorite going into next season because I I don't see any reason to believe that they won't be right there back in the mix next year. And if I'm picking between Steph Curry, since LeBron James is basically out of the, uh, I mean, he's out of contention right now, and unless the Lakers work a miracle here over the course of the next couple months, if I'm picking against Steph uh, with Steph Curry against Giannis, or picking with Steph Curry against a, you know, a, a Kevin Durant or a Nikola Jokic or a Kawhi Leonard, like I just trust him more. I trust him more. I trust Steve Kerr more. I trust Raymond Green more. I trust them more. So, yeah, like if all things break right, I absolutely think the Warriors can win five or six titles. But it's just not as simple as going out and doing it. You need things to break your way. Uh, let's move on to the Suns. So, uh, Monty Williams signs a, signs a contract extension. He's staying with the, he's staying with them as a head coach. 
you know, we were wondering whether or not they were going to end up going after KD. They did not. Um, well, they, they obviously made some offers, but they didn't make an offer that le- was legitimately interesting to the uh, to the Nets. Um, DeAndre Ayton goes out, signs a offer sheet with the Indiana Pacers. He ends up getting signed, or the, the, the Suns end up matching the offer. Like I told you guys, I found that whole situation to be really strange. I didn't understand if your goal all along was to keep Ayton at something close to the max, then why run the risk of all the uh, of all the you know emotional baggage of making your player feel unwanted essentially as part of the process I didn't get all that but either way it looks like because of as a result of that it, they, he can't be traded until uh um a, a significant chunk into the season and he has a trade veto power for one calendar year so Aiton's not getting traded Mikhail Bridges is not enough to get KD, so the Suns are probably not getting KD unless some miracle breaks for them here in the next couple of weeks, right? So it looks like it's going to be largely the same team. Now, in these types of situations, it all comes down to whether or not you look at your team and their outcome in the last season as something that was bad luck, or if you read the reality of what happened on the court. You could, as a Suns fan, look at it as bad luck. Like, man, Devin Booker, he went cold there towards the end of that series. Um, he had a hamstring issue in the first round. So, like, maybe he wasn't 100% physically. They probably had some conversations behind the scene. Devin Booker probably went up, um, you know, to their front office and was like, hey, just so you guys know, like, I wasn't healthy. You know, he probably said something like that. Chris Paul had a quad injury. It looked like, literally was incredibly dominant through eight playoff games, if I remember correctly, and then was a, a, a horrific shell of himself. So, Chris Paul can say, hey, I was hurt. You know, you can look at it like, hey, DeAndre Ayton's going to get better. Um, Mikael Bridges is going to get better. Cam Johnson's going to get better. You can look at it in an, uh, from a very optimistic light. Or you can look at the reality of the basketball. And the reality of the basketball for the Suns is they damn near lost to the Lakers two years ago. And fortunately, Anthony Davis went down with injury and they were able to close that series out in six games. Okay. Uh, then they beat the Denver Nuggets without Jamal Murray. Okay, then they got dragged to six by the LA Clippers without Kawhi Leonard, and then they lost four consecutive games in the NBA Finals to lose to the Milwaukee Bucks and Giannis. And in the first two games, they won, but you could argue that Giannis was freshly uh, back from having his knee inverted and probably wasn't close to 100. percent Then we come into this season. And they get dragged to six games by the New Orleans Pelicans. Mind you, they had some injuries in that series. And then they lose to the Dallas Mavericks. Now, this was not them losing to the Warriors. This was not them losing to a juggernaut. They lost to a Dark Horse title team that was significantly... Like, the Dallas Mavericks had significantly less talent than the Phoenix Suns. But they lost, largely on the strength of Luka's greatness. All last season, I told you guys... I thought the Phoenix Suns were the most talented team in basketball uh, from the top down. But they were missing that alpha dog talent. And I thought that this season would be a great indicator of whether or not they were real or fake. You know, frauds or real legitimate title contenders. Because, you know, in this particular case, Chris Paul can play, is one of the best playmakers in the league, right? And Devin Booker is a fantastic three-level scorer. So in theory, the two of them can kind of combine and masquerade as a superstar right but then they ran into a real superstar in Luka Doncic who did not have the level of surrounding talent that they did and they looked completely and utterly overmatched helpless lying on the ground as Luka stomped them in the ground like that that, that's what happened and so to me that's if I was looking at that situation as the general manager and I was trying to decide whether or not you know bad luck was the reason for our outcomes or a fundamental flaw in team construction, meaning the lack of alpha dog superstar was the problem. I'm looking at option number two there. And so if they run it back, which it looks like they're going to, that's what I would expect. I would expect more of the same. Dominant regular season engine. You know, Monty Williams, to his credit, the reason why he's getting an extension, you know, if you watch that team, they are extremely well coached. Their offense is a machine. Five pick and roll. Their floor spacing is excellent. They put their backside players like Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson in great position to capitalize on the defensive attention thrown to the Paul Ayton pick and roll to the Booker Ayton dribble handoffs and everything that they do 
they have they're they're just extremely well coached, and obviously they're a great defensive team as well. So they they're going to be a great regular season team. They're going to win a shit ton of games, and then they're going to end up running into one of the many superstars in the Western Conference. Hey, guess what? You've got to go through LeBron, Steph, Kawhi, Nikola Jokic, uh, uh, Luka Doncic. Like you're just you're going to run into potentially five opponents. Uh, obviously, you're not going to play all five of them, but one of five opponents, two of five opponents, three of five opponents. That could have the will have by far the best player on the floor in that series, and and so I I I would hope that at a certain point whoever's you know at this point James Jones needs to just kind of read the writing on the wall and understand that that he doesn't have enough talent he doesn't have that big piece that he needs to get this done and it's time to start looking elsewhere. All right, a couple of quick hitters before we get out of here. So the volume posted a social media post the other day where they put LeBron and Kobe, MJ and KD. Shaq and Tim Duncan all in a photo and said which one would you bench and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because I think it's super cut and dry you're benching Tim Duncan you guys know I prefer perimeter players and spaced out basketball so obviously I'm going to go with KD, Kobe, LeBron and MJ and then for the center position Tim Duncan has a better career resume he was dominant for longer but Shaq was better at his absolute peak. That just goes without saying. It, it kind of reminds me of the Steph thing. Like, I have the utmost respect for Tim Duncan. He was never really the best player in the league, but he was always up there in that conversation. And he was such a good leader. And he was so coachable that he was kind of the ultimate foundational piece for a dynastic franchise. So it's not a slight against Tim Duncan. I have the utmost respect for him. But Shaq was a better player at his peak. You just got to slot him into that role. But I'm curious to hear what your guys' thoughts are. So put that in the YouTube comments. Um, before we get out of here, you know, like I, like I said, when we get into these off seasons, there's a certain amount of filler. There's a certain amount of drama, you know, like I don't like getting on here and talking about Russell Westbrook every day. I actually hate it. It's just what we have to do, uh, as part of the job. And because he's in the news, it's just, it's just the reality, right? Like, but the basketball is always what I love the most. And um, I always want I, I want to take time in each show to dive into some sort of basketball concept. And so here at the end, I want to talk about five out basketball, which is something I preach all the time in the show is something that I personally advocate for. Now, at the end of the day, it's about personnel. You have to you have to run what fits best for your team. If you consistently have to have a player on the floor that can't shoot or dribble, you can't run five out basketball. So you're limited in what you can do there. But at the end of the day, if I have the correct personnel, I've always preferred five-out basketball as a core offensive motion. And I wanted to take a couple of minutes to kind of break down why that is. So first of all, what what, what is five-out basketball? It is, it is the motion offense you run when all of your actions are finished. So offense is like a progression. The first progression is try to score the basketball in transition. You get a stop, you get a rebound, you run like hell to the front of the rim and try to dunk it or get a layup until someone stops you. If someone stops you there, you might run what's called a secondary break or like a semi-transition play. Essentially, it's an action that you run as part of transition. It might be the guards interchanging. It might be your point guard doing a dribble pitch back to the big man trailing the floor for a three. It might be a quick pin down or a quick double screen, something along those lines. But it's like a brief action that you run as part of the transition sequence. If that fails, you might run your actual play that you call, right? And But if there's a play that you call, there's a couple steps to it, but you reach the end of it. Like, for instance, the high school kids that I coach, we run a play called shuffle. In shuffle, you have two bigs at the two elbows, and you have two uh, guards on the wing. It's like a four-high offense, right? And there's a guy making the entry, the guard making the entry up top. And you enter, enter the ball to the high post, and there's like a flex cut off of the elbow where you try to hit the guy cutting to the basket. Um, but, and then after that, it flows into a couple of like double pin downs for shooters coming off but if those don't work the play's over and so what do you do you know like some some coaches might have you run another play but every coach I played for and every coach that I know of typically you you flow out of the play into your core motion offense it's a it doesn't have a step-by-step instruction it's more of like a a concept right it's like spacing principles it's where you're supposed to stand on the floor and just some basic rules but there's usually a lot of freedom to do what you want within that so you design that based on your talent and what fits your team i played on a bunch of different i played on three different teams in college and our core motion offense was different for each team based on personnel right my second year in juco we ran a 3 in 2 out 
motion offense because we were primarily a post-up team that had really good post players. And the the post players would cross-screen for each other, and then the third post player would say set a pin down for one of them to come up to the top of the key. It was kind of like a, a, a triangle, essentially. Uh, uh, not, tr- not the triangle offense, but a triangle of post players. And you're essentially running high-low. You're trying to enter the ball to the high post so that you can make a post entry down underneath the basket. That's just what we did for the personnel that we had there. My uh, last year in college, we ran three out, two in. Once again, because we had really good post players. And so it was kind of like a incessant set of screen and rolls where, you know, the the one big would run up to set the screen while the other screen would go to the opposite block to sit in the dunker spot. And if that didn't work, then the bigs would rotate and the other big would come up to set the screen and the other guy would go to the other dunker spot, right? Like it's just kind of a flowing run of pick and rolls. That's what we did. My high school team, we run five out. And again, it's not a play. Anything can happen in five out. It's just spacing principles. In our high with our high school team, there's a guy at the top of the key, guy on both wings, guy in both corners, which is the way five out exists in every level of basketball because there's just not enough room on the floor to stand anywhere else. But from there, it's pretty much you can do whatever you want. The guy who has the basketball can attack the basket, try to get to the rim. The guy can do a dribble handoff, like dribble to the next guy and pitch it to him and try to hit his man, right? You can pass and screen away. You can call for a ball screen. You can look for the ball and cut hard and try to get open as a cutter. You can do literally anything. But as players are moving around the floor, you're always rotating and filling in spaces. So if you pass, if you're at the top of the key and you pass to the right wing and you cut through, the guy at the right wing needs to fill to the top and the guy out of the corner needs to fill to the wing so the guy who's cutting can fill to the corner. So you're always like, it's kind of like pieces sliding around uh, on the court and everyone kind of knows their core spaces where they're supposed to be. But outside of that, you just play basketball. We always tell our kids, just play basketball. These are just some rules that you have in place to help you know where you're supposed to stand on the floor. That's all, that's all that five-out basketball is. But there are a couple of key reasons why I believe in it so much. Now, for starters, the, the uh, we'll start with the detra- of what the detractors will say. In order to run five-out basketball, you need to have five players that are comfortable playing on the perimeter. That means they have to be able to pass, dribble, and shoot, okay? So you just can't play five-out basketball if you have a traditional center on the floor that can't move his feet, that can't uh, pass the basketball, that can't put the basketball on the floor, and that can't shoot. It just won't work. I mean, if it, if you had DeAndre Jordan stand in the weak side corner, I mean, no one, just no one's going to guard him, right? So as a result, in when you have five perimeter players, sometimes you're limited in defensive ability. Sometimes you're limited in rebounding. For example, when the Dallas Mavericks went away from Dwight Powell and went to Maxi Kleba, he was much better in their five-out offense because of his ability to shoot and put the basketball on the floor, but he's not the level of defensive player that Dwight Powell is, right? He's not the level of rebounder that Dwight Powell is. He's not the physical presence and the athlete that Dwight Powell is, right? So there, there's a trade-off in any type of concept of offense, but there's a, there's a reason why I believe in five-out. So let's say, let's say as a starting point, that I'm sacrificing a great defensive big man, okay? I'm ditching a defensive big man. I'm bringing in a smaller, more finesse big to play my five-out offense. So I'm losing something on the defensive end, and I'm losing something on the glass. But here's what I'm gaining. Now, the simple answer is spacing. So if I have a, a, a guy standing in the dunker spot... The defensive player can play two places at once. He can protect the rim while also guarding his man in the dunker spot. But if he's in the weak side corner and there's nobody in the dunker spot, if I beat my man off the dribble, now that helper isn't coming from the block, he's coming from his man on the weak side corner. He has to cover so much more ground. If I'm protecting the rim and my and I'm guarding a post player, I can be in two places at once. If I'm guarding the man in the weak side corner, I have to abandon my man to come help at the rim. Now the defense is in rotation. That's how the basic spacing concept works. But there's one last reason why I wanted to make this point. I believe that the best way to win basketball games is to have a superstar or an all-world talent who's better than everybody else on the floor or as good as the, uh, the other team's best player, but he's comfortable and he's confident in playing his best basketball. Basketball is a rhythm sport. Confidence and and belief in your ability is a huge factor in the result. Think of like when you see Reggie Jackson really in a groove and he's high stepping down the floor, kicking his legs. 
you know he's going to play well because up here, he's fiercely confident. What allows a player to be fiercely confident? Playing his best basketball. To play his best basketball, you want him to feel comfortable on offense. You want him to have spacing so that he feels unguardable, so that he can ride that confidence wave throughout the game. If you play congested basketball, you're going to have nights where it's like, man, all I'm getting is to uh, all I'm getting to is my pull-up jump shot and it's just not falling. And I don't have the space to get into the rim. So I don't feel good about myself. I don't feel good about the way I'm playing. I don't feel confident. And so even if you are getting better defense, even if you are getting better rebounding out of the role players that are clunking things up around the rim, your star is not feeling good. I want Luka to be stomping the Phoenix Suns into the ground in Game 7. Even though they're losing things in the physicality areas of the game with Maxi Kleba, Luka Doncic was peaking in that series with his confidence, his feel, and his strangling of the game. And as a result, he was able to utterly demolish the Phoenix Suns. So for me, there's always a trade-off with every style. And you can't run a style unless you have the personnel to run it. But if I have the personnel to run five-out basketball, I will always favor that. Because whatever I lose in rebounding and whatever I lose in defensive personnel, I make up for in offensive comfort, which is going to lead to my star feeling the best about himself, which is going to be what allows him to control the game, especially at the late part of the game, when it's closing time, when you have to create and make tough shots. I want my star feeling comfortable. I want my best player feeling comfortable. So again, there's all these different ways to do it. It always should be catered towards your personnel. But for me personally, if you have the personnel, I think five-out basketball is the best core offensive philosophy to win basketball games with the modern iteration of basketball that we see around the world right now. All right, guys, that is all I have for today. Uh, I will keep you posted on my Twitter feed. Again, follow me on Twitter at underscore JasonLT so you guys can see show announcements and things along those lines. I will keep you posted on my Twitter feed about when the next show is. As always, I appreciate your support. I'm getting excited about eventually getting home and getting back into my studio, but I will probably give you guys another show or two on the cruise as well. I appreciate you guys rocking with me, and I'll see you next time. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Hey, it's Kevin Hart. In this basketball season, Chase Freedom Unlimited is helping me cash back all my game tickets. Plus, tickets for 23 of my biggest fans to cheer me on while I enjoy the game. Find your I appreciate the support, people. Eat that pretzel. This will never get old. Use more napkins. Okay, this is starting to get old. Say the tag one. Cash back like a pro with Chase Freedom Unlimited. Chase. Make more of what's yours. Restrictions and limitations apply. Cards are issued by JPMorgan Chase Bank and a member FDIC. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's the groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. This Father's Day, power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. Find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com.